13 and 3 here. T-Boz is enjoying its second season with our guest, current Pittsburgh Penguin winger and Mogi's favorite NHL player, Jason Zucker. This episode is sponsored by Market and Johnson, Parker Insurance, Valley Sports Academy, Northwoods Therapy Associates, and Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, which has been committed to the healthcare needs of patients in Western Wisconsin since 1954. The orthopedic surgeons and athletic trainers serve many area schools. Mogi. Jason, we can't thank you enough for taking your time out of a busy summer to uh, sit down and talk with us. And uh, JC mentioned that you're my favorite player in the NHL, and I just I just like the way you play. You have a lot of grit. You're not afraid to go in the corners, and yeah, like to score from the dirty areas too. So uh, good inspiration to a lot of young players. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. Sounds like a great podcast. I'm excited to be a part of it. Thank you very much. Let's get going right away. Born in California, but moved to Vegas at a young area, you know, and until recently, Vegas was not exactly a hotbed of hockey. Mm -hmm. How did you get the hockey bug and how old were you when that happened? Yeah, I I was, uh, so I moved, yeah, I moved to Vegas when I was two months old. Um, So I'm a Vegas boy through and through. Um, But my older brothers played. um, So that was kind of my thing as I, I just followed along with them and we'd play, you know, street hockey and roller hockey and for me, it was all about roller hockey. Um, <clears throat> that was kind of where it all started. And my mom was a figure skater. So she was kind of the, the initial inspiration, I think, for my oldest brother. But he played basically every sport out there. Um, and we just kind of, you know, moved along um, with just hockey because he had tried everything and didn't really like him. And he just wanted to play hockey. So as my brother Adam, who's the middle of the three, and then myself, it was just all hockey from there on out. And uh, we became a hockey family pretty quick. Well, wow, that's that's amazing. So, ironically, your dad was a general contractor. He built roller and ice hockey rinks when you were young. Did his business boom along with the hockey boom in the American Southwest or yeah, you? Yeah, he kind of moved all over. So he he initially was in kind of more general construction, as you said, and then as we uh, a little bit older, I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's probably been man. Um, I was probably ten, so he's probably been with the company twenty twenty five years or so. Um, and he moved to a company called station casinos. And so he basically is the, now the vice president of construction for station casinos. Um, so he moved out of kind of the general contracting hammer and nail style, you know, business. And now he's, you know, pushing paper behind the desk, but he's the big wig, you know, he, he earned, he earned his right to be up there and, and, uh, you know, be, be, you know, doing the budgets and all that fun stuff. But I think he might actually trade in for the hammer and nails now because his, his hours are just crazy. He's working 14 hour days and all that fun stuff. But, um, you know, when he was a general contractor, that's what, you know, really got me moving with hockey because he'd bring me to the rink as he was building. Basically what they did is built one side of the rink, the other side they started on. So he'd pick me up from kindergarten every day and I'd go skate at the rink, um, while he was building the other side of the rink. So I was just skate by myself for hours and hours and hours. How cool is that to have your own private rink and just go out and just burn her up? That's, that's yeah. He was cool. he was really good friends with the owner of the rink at the time, and so he's like, "Hey, I don't care if Jason comes, just as long as it doesn't delay the building, you know, you're good." And he's like, "He won't, you know, he's good." And so I just go skate by myself and just uh, skate for hours. Wow! When you were that young, skating on the rink, uh, you know, for hours. Did you have any mentors or inspiration at that time? Like any NHL players, like every young kid, you're raising the cup, you scored the winning goal, you know, things like that when you were out there? Not for me. For me, it was my older brother. It was my oldest brother, Evan. Um, and there were another, there was another hockey family that's kind of synonymous with Vegas and it's the Sanford family. Um, Micah Sanford, uh, was kind of the first 
big name player to come out of Vegas when he went and played at UNO um, for college. But my brother Evan was just right below him, a year younger, maybe two. Um, but regardless, he, Evan was kind of the next big name out of Vegas as well. He moved away to Colorado Springs when he was younger. Um, so he was kind of the, to, to this day, I'll tell you, he still has more skill than me. He's yeah. But he just, he didn't care enough to work hard. He thought that was kind of the easy part of the game was the working hard aspect, but, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, yeah. So it was my older brother to give you the, the full answer. Evan was, was definitely my inspiration. Yeah, I wanted to be like him and, um, but the NHL wasn't as big in Vegas. It was roller hockey. Um, you know, I obviously knew Gretzky. We were fans of that. We were, you know, somewhat fans of, of the LA Kings just because they had so many great players with Robitaille and Marty McSorley and those type guys. But, um, it wasn't, we didn't watch it on TV. It wasn't a big, big, huge part of our family, to be honest. So what was youth hockey like in, in Las Vegas when you were young? Uh, it was very different. There was one association. It was the Las Vegas outlaws at the time. Um, and it was travel hockey. You know, it's very different than here in the Midwest where you've got high school hockeys and you've got, you know, you've got 15 teams within 10 minutes of you, you know, for us, it was every single weekend we were out in, um, California, Arizona, Colorado, Phoenix, um, or that was in Arizona, but, um, you know, Alaska, we were all over the place, Utah, wow. that was all part of our Pacific district. So that's where we would travel every weekend. You'd basically have two to three home tournaments a year, and then all the rest were traveling. So you were on the road every single weekend. That's a huge commitment by your, your family for that to happen. Yeah. Especially with my two older brothers playing, you know, my dad would take me and my brother, Adam, cause we, I ended up playing up a division. So I'd played with my brother, Adam. Um, so he would take us, my mom would take Evan or vice versa. And maybe one of the kids would go with a family on the team. Another would go with a parent. One parent would have to stay home with the others, you know, cause there's five kids. So, uh, you know, it was, it was always a little bit of chaos <laughs> with the, uh, with the two brothers. Any battles in the home with the, you know, the short hockey sticks in the basement, a oh, couple yeah. elbows thrown? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, for me, I I was kind of the, you know, the good boy kid of, of the family. Um, Evan and Adam just would just beat the, you know, just kill each other. You know, they were all over the place. They would fight every single day. And I'd just call my parents, say, hey, they're fighting again. And, you know, this and that. <laughs> but then when those two decided, you know, when I started getting a little bit better, they would team up on me. Um, and so I had a couple rough days, that's for sure. Well, they're older than you, right? So yeah, it's a rite of, times, of passage. Well, a lot yeah. of times you see, you know, the, the older brother set the tone and then the younger guy, you know, he becomes more skilled and from following them around and chasing after him. And yeah, I mean, I was always a good player, but you know, for me, it was more the work. Like I was the kid that would be, you know, we didn't have weights and a gym and all that at my house. We, you know, we had a pretty humble upbringing, but, um, my parents, you know, the one thing they always said was they made, they would do everything they could to make sure we had every opportunity to succeed. You know, they're not going to give us the opportunities. They're going to give us the chance to have that opportunity. Essentially. They're not going to take that away by, you know, because of money or other situations. So they put everything into hockey, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, I have them to thank for, for everything. Were you a multi-sport athlete? No, just hockey. I played football for one summer. I was a quarterback and I was okay. You know, I was decently athletic enough to throw a ball. Um, but, uh, I knew very quickly that football wasn't my, my, uh, my calling hockey was definitely the better, better Avenue for me. So you played, uh, with the Los Angeles team and you went to the Quebec international peewee tournaments. So how did you guys fare when you went to that tournament? Um, you know what? I, I want to say we lost in the semifinals that year to, uh, CompuWare 
who oddly enough I ended up playing for yeah. when I was 15. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, you know, they were, it was a fun, really, really fun tournament. I remember being there, you know, they've got the pin trading and they've got all kind of that stuff. And, um, it was a lot of fun. That tournament was kind of an eye opener for me. And oddly enough, quick little story about that was I had no idea that, you know, to talk a little bit about Vegas hockey, I had no idea that tournament even existed yet alone tryouts for that team. So my dad one day got a call from a friend of ours. His name was Bobby Burns and Bobby was bringing his son, Bobby jr to the tryouts. And he goes, Hey, I'm heading out to this tryout. You know, it's, you know, X amount of dollars to just try out for the team. Do you want me to bring Jason with? I'm already bringing Bobby. He's like, sure. Sounds good. And I went and made the team. I literally left that day, went and and I ended up making the team. Oddly enough was a defenseman at the time. And, uh, you know, I grew up playing defense because in roller hockey, they were like, you know, you play four and four. They said, you essentially have three forwards on the, on the floor. And I was fast enough to get back every time. So, uh, Larry Sanford, who part of the Sanford family, which is kind of synonymous with Vegas hockey, his son was the big name that got out of Vegas early. Um, you know, that was his mentality. He was all about that. So I played defense. Um, and, uh, yeah, I ended up making the team and went and played in the brick tournament. And it's pretty funny. If you look back at the teams that played in the brick tournament, the players on those teams, I mean, there's crazy amount of NHL names. It's just ridiculous. So guys that you played against as yep. a youth, you're now playing against in the NHL as well. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. So who's gotten better over those years? Years. I'm assuming you have excelled beyond what those guys were, right? Well, you know, for me at the time, I was actually the worst player on that team, and I'm I'm happy to say that. You know, I was a defenseman. when So that yeah, I played for the Brick team, and then that following season, my peewee year, they basically recruited me to come back and play. They said, yeah, we'd like to have you, and, you know, come back and play for the team. But I was – I think I was the worst player on that team and it was, it was a humbling couple of years for me, but we didn't have triple A hockey in Vegas. So we only had double A. So for me, if I wanted to play triple A hockey, I had to get out of Vegas. So I played two years, triple A in LA. And then I ended up going back to Vegas to play my Bantam years. And the reason I went back is because that team I played with in LA became a Bantam double A team. So there was no reason to stay there and play Bantam double A when I could be the best player on a Bantam double A team in Vegas. So that's what I decided to do. So then you moved to Plymouth, Michigan as a 15-year-old, and you mentioned you played for CompuWare, the AAA midget program, and then you headed to the U.S. National Development Team in Ann Arbor for two years. Did you see hockey as a future vocation as you moved up to this elite level? That was where I realized I had a chance. You know, It wasn't until that year at CompuWare, because I got recruited to play for CompuWare that year. I was the only player that lived outside of Michigan that came to play. I mean, I was like, okay, you know, that's kind of a... Cause I, I, when I went back to Vegas, I was the best player on the team. Then I ended up, you know, Bantam double A my second year Bantam. I played midget triple A with my older brother and I had a pretty good year and that's where I got recruited out of. So it was like, okay, you're playing midget triple A as a second year Bantam. You know, why don't we try this out and see how it works? Um, so when I went to CompuWare, I ended up with over a hundred points that year. And that's oh. when I kind of, that's when I realized I had a chance, but the reason why CompuWare mattered was we were right in the backyard for the U S development program. You know, we were, you know, playing out of Plymouth, the development program was in Ann Arbor, which is about 20 minutes away. So it was really easy for them to get down and watch games and they watched a ton. So that was the reason why I truly feel I was ever even in the running to make that team. When did you make the transition from defenseman to forward? Um, when I went back to Vegas, so that my second year of peewee in LA, they moved me to forward. And the reason why, oddly enough, was I was afraid to get hit. So as a defenseman, when they would dump pucks in and I'd go back, I was not having it. 
I'd let them get fucked first every time. I'm good. The coaches like that. They hated it. Yeah, I got yelled at every time. And so what's funny about that, what turned out, and this is kind of the irony of, of how hockey works and just sports in general, is when I got switched to forward, I ended up getting hit first every time because I was faster than the demon. So I would dump pucks yeah. and I would get there first. So I still ended up getting hit. The difference was, is I got to hold on to the puck. I didn't have to make a play. Yeah. So I could take a hit and then like hold on to the puck or I could do other things. Whereas in the D zone, you can't just throw the puck and get out of the way. Offensive zone, you can actually start making some plays. So then I started kind of gaining a knack for the net and kind of, you know, kind of refining the offensive side. Interesting. So when did you start getting looks from colleges and then what led you to choosing Denver? That year at CompuWare was when colleges started calling. Um, I remember, um, I, I'm not going to get into school names for this part of it, but when I was at CompuWare, I started getting some calls. I remember the first school calling a little bit of a smaller school. They typically try to get in first to see if they can entice some kids early. Yeah. Um, you know, because once they start getting in the running with some of the bigger name schools, they kind of lose some of their luster. So I get a call from a school. My dad does, of course. And he calls me and tells me, and I'm like, let's commit tomorrow. I'm in. <laughs> He's like, nah, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. So it was kind of funny how that works sometimes. But, um, you know, we, uh, ended up having, you know, a, a decent amount of college scholarship offers, which was, you know, I was very fortunate enough to be able to choose where I wanted to go. Denver was close to home. Um, I was a big fan of, of the pioneers from when they won Oh four and Oh five. Um, I was living in LA. That was the only college hockey program that you could watch on TV at the time. Sure. Yeah. So they were always on, they were the best team in the, in the country. They had a couple of California kids. And I think that's why they ended up on TV in California. They had Gabe Goche. They had a couple others that were kind of California um, focused. Um, and then Gwazdecki. Gwazdecki was absolutely massive. He was, in my opinion, um, you know, in the running for the best college hockey coach of all time. Um, and then third was our freshman class. We had an amazing freshman class with Nick Shore, uh, Bo Bennett, David Mikowski. I mean, we had a really stacked um, freshman class. So that was another big side of it. We were lucky enough to have Gwazdecki as a, as a guest, you know, last, uh, summer, last fall with, uh, with T boss here and quite a phenomenal coach. And just his dynamic is, is amazing. Uh, what he knows about college. He was incredible. He was incredible. You know, he, he unfortunately had a bit of a tough run in, in the NHL with, with Tampa, even though he was a great assistant coach for them. I think he, he wasn't given the opportunity to, to, show his talents there. I don't feel. Um, but I think now being at valor, you know, he's going to teach those, he's going to be the best thing that ever happened to that program. But I think that was now getting, you know, this is no disrespect to Jim Montgomery or David Carl, but I think the biggest mistake that school made was letting him go. Um, but now seeing David Carl there, who's a disciple of George Gwazdecki, yeah. you know, is just phenomenal to see. And he's doing a, a doing a heck of a job. Yeah. Another NCAA championship last year for yeah. the pioneers. Oh yeah. Go piles. Hey, uh, Parker Insurance is one of our sponsors, and they have multiple companies, multiple products, multiple savings. See Ryan Parker, who is a hockey coach himself in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for all your insurance needs. And thanks to our friends at Market & Johnson, longtime supporters of the great game of hockey and our youth throughout the Chipp Chippewa Valley region. Jason, you know, you had talked about uh, going from CompuWare to the National Team Developmental Program. Tell us a little bit about the different uh, style of hockey, and was that a significant jump for you for speed and skill playing against guys a little bit older than you? 
Yeah, there's always a bit of a transition. I think for me, um, you know, part of it was skating was always my ass, my biggest asset. So I was able to use my skating first and worry about my hands and the, my head and thinking later, which was nice for me. That was a huge benefit in my opinion. That's why, you know, now the NHL hockey in general is a skating game. It's all you do is you skate. If you can skate, you can play. If you can't skate, you can't play. Simple as that. Um, you know, there's obviously exceptions to that rule, but the majority, especially young guys coming into the league, if you can't skate, you're never going to play in my opinion. Um, there will be exceptions to that. So don't, you know, come at me and kind of the, oh, you said this. No, there, there's always going to be the exception to the rule, but the vast majority now it's a skating game. If you look at McKinnon, you look at McDavid, you look at Crosby, you look at all the best players in the world, they can all skate. Yeah. That's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah. You know, you talk to, you talk to people, I was listening to one guy in a podcast. He was talking, he was a former player and he said, you know, I was in the upper level of the arena and I'm looking down on the game and he said, you know, I think maybe I could still play. And then the next period he came down close and he's like, no way on God's green earth I could ever play because it's just so fast. It's so fast. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, it's, I mean, even from my rookie year to now it's, it's gone up, you know, a crazy amount, uh, speed wise. So it's a, it's a tough game. It's fast, but it's, it's, uh, one of those things that if you can skate again, you have, you give yourself the best chance to, to have success. So let's talk about that for a second. When you were a rookie, that was 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. So here you are, you went from rookie it going, coming into your 12 season. What keeps you motivated to keep hammering over the summer, doing what you need to do to stay in shape? Uh, getting healthy from injuries, you know, what, what keeps you striving to continue to play first and firm foremost is the cup, right? I mean, I haven't won. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing you want to win. You want to find a, the winning formula and you want to, you know, you want to hoist the cup and, and have your name on it. I mean, that's number one. Um, number two is everyone wants to build a legacy for themselves with their name, their family, um, the teams they've played on, you know, you all, you, you always want to be a part of the best and, and, you know, you're always striving to be better than you were the year before. Um, and you know, never going backwards. You always want to keep moving forward and that's going to ultimately help you get that cup as well. If you're helping teams win and you're doing your job in the off season, you hope all your other teammates are doing the same. That gives you the best chance to win. So number one is, is always going to be the cup. So we, we listen and you know, keep up with what happens in the NHL over the summer. So you've got Sydney coming back. You've got Evgeny Malkin coming back. You've got Chris Letang coming back. Is this the last big push with the big three towards the cup? Do you think? I'm not willing to say it's the last. I mean, people said that last year and people said we were going to miss the playoffs last year, even the year before the, the year after I got traded there after the bubble, um, that next year was like, ah, this might be the year they fall off and miss the playoffs. Well, we won the division that year. And then, you know, two, then last year, uh, they're going to miss the, they're going to miss the playoffs. They're going to be, this is definitely the year. Well, we were second in the division, you know, and so they're just going to keep saying it because guys are getting older and yeah, we've got the oldest team in the league now, but I would bet on our team any day of the week when you have names like Crosby and Malkin, Latang, Gensel, Rust, Jari. I mean, you, the list goes on and on and, and we've got some amazing players. So I'm willing to bet you know, in our favor. Good luck. I'm not going to bet against that. That's absolutely for sure. Absolutely not. Not with those names. I love, you know, the, uh, the enthusiasm when he's saying that is yeah, just like, he's got a big smile on his face. Uh, like oh, yeah. bring it on boys. I dare anybody <laughs> to challenge that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard team to bet against. I'll say that. So it's, it's one of those teams that you look at and you're like, okay, you're going to say that we're going to be out of the playoffs. Well, 
you know, think about that again and, and really go through it and really look at the team and say, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's going to be hard for you to make sense of that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, definitely agree. You have been honored to represent the USA in world juniors. You know, you want, you want a gold, you want a silver. What's that like representing our country, the USA? It was awesome. It was, it was some of the best times of my life. Um, you know, that world junior tournament's absolutely incredible. They do a great job hosting it. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. You know, those are tournaments that it's, it's a whirlwind cause it's three weeks and you're just playing games. Seems like every single day you're playing against the best players in the world at that age group. And, uh, it's so much fun to be a part of. So I was really blessed and lucky enough to be a part of that, you know, 2010 win with John Carlson and that. Um, but then even playing the next few years and I was lucky enough to be a captain of the team in 2012 and, you know, my third year there. And, Unfortunately, that was a seventh place finish there. So I think leadership was tough, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, we, uh, we had a lot of fun. We honestly, we had the best tournament, best team in the tournament that year. We should have won. We ran into a couple, you know, extremely good teams that, that beat us and it was unfortunate, but we always had a lot of fun. Looking back at those teams and also, you know, your time uh, with the uh, developmental program, any guys that you played with now that you're up against in the NHL? And if so, do you like facing them or, or is it like, uh, you would prefer not to? Well, you'd prefer not to face any of them. You know, they're all, <laughs> they're all good players. But I mean, for my third year at the world juniors, our first line was me, Charlie Coyle and Brandon Saad, you know, and our goalie was Jack Campbell. You know, we had names like Derek Forbert. Um, we had John Gibson was our backup goalie, you know, like our team was stacked. Um, you know, we had a lot of really, really good players. JT Miller rises, I think our third line center on that team. Wow. You know, so if you go back and look at those teams, it's like, okay, that team was incredible. And you look at, you can, but you can do that with Canada. You can, oh, yeah. you can do it yeah. with every team in that yeah. tournament. Right. Um, you know, cause Sweden that year had, um, Ekman Larson and guys like that, that were just phenomenal players. I mean, the year that we won world juniors, they had Victor Hedman, Oliver Ekman Larson, Team Canada, I think, had um, 19 players already play in the NHL before that tournament, already have games in the NHL. So, like, it's just crazy when you look at it like that, um, you know, how how good those teams are. Good thing you did have speed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah just get away. Get away. So let's go back to Denver for a second. You're named the WCHA rookie in 2010-2011. What made that year so special for you? You know, that was kind of a whirlwind year for me. It was just a lot of fun going in. Um, you know, I remember my first game ever in a Denver jersey. We ended up playing the U.S. development program, and I scored a hat trick. You know, like it was one of those things where it seemed like everything that we I did that year worked, and sometimes you have years like that. Um, I remember going in and telling my dad, you know, I set goals every single year, and I, I keep those all private, but sometimes I'll I'll talk about them a little bit later on. And, and for Denver that year, I think I set a goal of 20 points. And I told my dad, I want 10 goals, 10 assists, 20 points would be a great freshman year. I had 22 goals and like 21 assists for like 40 something points. So completely blew it out of the water. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I don't really have a great rhyme or reason behind it. I had great training. My, my trainer back in Vegas, Steve Chira was incredible at the time. Um, and, uh, Richard Vadney. And, and so we just had, we had a good setup there. Um, I love training there. It was a lot of fun. And I think that led to the success, but I think George Guazdecki gives his freshmen a lot of leeway and, and gives them a lot of time to, uh, you know, to develop and, and play great hockey. You had mentioned speed as your number one asset. If you had to go down the list, 
what's number two, what's number three that you bring to the table? I think, um, you know, it, it's tough. If, if you're talking about an individual game, you know, if you take away leadership and stuff like that, that's more team aspects of things. Um, you know, I think for me, I'm a shoot first mentality. So I think my shot is kind of that, that secondary asset for me that I know I can rely on all the time. I know when I'm not playing well, I typically look at my shot totals. Um, and I look at my skating and I can watch video pretty quick and tell if I'm moving my feet and skating or not. And then if, if my shot totals are down, it's typically cause I'm not moving my feet. So it, they kind of correlate with each other all the time. Um, and number three, you know, for me, I kind of, I have a knack for the net. I like to be around the net. If I'm a guy that you give a ton of open space to in the corners of the blue line or along the half wall, that's not my game. I want to be around the net and get those, you know, dirty goals, the kind of rebound goals and those quick shots, those type chances are what I thrive on. So you had two years at Denver, then you left uh, at, at the end of your second year to play the final regular season game with the wild. So what surprised you most about the jump from college to the pros? That was the first time in my life I ever got into an experience. And I looked back and said, man, that was a bad idea. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I realized it very quickly because, you know, it was, it was so fast. Um, that was the, my, and it wasn't the skating, like the skating aspect. I was like, I can skate with these guys. I'm faster than most of them, but it was the decision-making and it was how hard you had to play all the time. It was just constant, constant, constant. You couldn't rely on skill alone. You couldn't rely on, on your assets. It was just, it was constantly a grind. I played six games that year. I remember leaving saying, man, I don't know if I, maybe I should have stayed a third year. Now the biggest blessing in disguise for me was it ended up being the lockout year the, the next year. So I had to play pretty much the whole season in the AHL. And okay, yeah. so did most other guys. You know, my my first line that year was me, Charlie Coyle, and Mikel Granlund, you know, in, in Houston. And then our second line was Johan Larson with uh um I think Zach Mitchell was a first round pick that year and a couple others. Like we had a really stacked team down there. But we were playing teams like Oklahoma City, who had Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberly, um, Justin Schultz. I mean, it was basically all the young guys from the NHL all moved down to the AHL and all the top prospects that were signing all ended up in the AHL. So it was a, it was a, you know, a lesser version of the NHL, but it was a higher version of the AHL it's ever been. Sure. Yeah. Higher version for sure. You were doggone lucky the way it sounds that you had that transition year. Yes. It ended up working out heavily in my favor to have that, Um, you know, and, and honestly, honestly, there's so much part of this game that's mental. Right. And, for me, I was able to look at that and be like, I would have made the team if it was camp. But now looking back, I can be honest with myself, I wouldn't have made the team out of camp. So mentally, knowing that you got sent down out of training camp and all of this stuff would have been a really tough, you know, realization. Um, you know, but our team that year was incredible. I mean, even on defense, we had Jonas Brodin and Marco Scandella, we had Darcy Kemper, we had, you know, Stephen Camper, we had we had a heck of a squad down there. It Sounds fun. like it. So do you, as a rookie do you have to perform any certain duties for the for the veteran players? You know, they're, they're pretty good to us. We've got rookie parties, so that's kind of the big thing. Rookie parties, uh, you know, that's kind of a lot of fun. You get your, your fun little hazing side of things and, uh, <laughs> you know, get your introduction to the team and all that. So that's always a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, I always really enjoyed it, honestly, because it was – it was your initiation into the team. It was it was being part of the team. Every guy in the league has done it and and uh you know had their good and, and bad sides to it, but it was always a lot of fun for me. Um because for me I wanted to be a part of the team the best I could. So yeah. whatever I had to do to do that, I was I was willing to do. 
we recently had a uh, NHL veteran on that uh, talked about the hazing rituals and um, I won't share his stories because it's in an upcoming episode, but any any hazing situations you had to go through that you, you can share? You know, I was pretty good. I actually, luckily, I wasn't a big drinker, still am not, um, but uh, I ended up having concussion the like the week before, like the couple of games before our rookie party. So I was there, but luckily they couldn't make me drink anything because um, I was recovering from a concussion. So I got lucky on that aspect. I still had some other stuff I had to do. You have to tell jokes and you have to pay for it, of course. Um, but uh, I don't really have a ton of uh, ton of great ones for you. Oh, he was he was the good boy and lucky one. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry you got a concussion, right, but maybe but came at a good time. It, it worked. It worked out in my favor. Yeah. All right. Any superstitions or repetitions or rituals you go through before you start a game or before mm. your skate? Um, you know, I'm more of a routine guy. I don't have a ton of superstitions in the sense like you know this can help me score goals or help me do that stuff. I have my routine for sure. I'm, uh, you know, more on the OCD level of certain things just in my life in general. Um, so I'm very organized. So that ends up turning into like my routine of sorts. Um, but a lot of that is because I know it's going to help me perform my best, not because it's going to help me score goals. Um, but everyone does end up with certain levels of, of superstitions at some point. Um, for me, you know, my sticks are always a big one. I always, you know, tape my sticks before the game. I use a new stick for every single game. Um, you know, so those are probably my my biggest. So obviously, uh, we you're wearing a, a black short sleeve t shirt, and we noticed that you have a uh, one or two tattoos. Yeah. Okay. We understand yeah. that uh, a lot of these are very meaningful to you. Would you care to elaborate on some of them for us? Yeah. So my left arm um, is basically all motivation stuff for me. So everything that was motivating throughout my life. Um, you know, and, uh, I've got a, a tiger on my forearm. That was something that a sports psychologist told me when I was young. Um, he always paired athletes with animals and, and had a lot of, uh, a really cool way of pairing it. His name was Dr. Saul Miller. He wrote the book hockey tough. Okay. Um, so he's a, the psychologist that I still work with to this day. Um, and, uh, he does a phenomenal job. So that was kind of that I've got a staircase with the window and that kind of, for me, um, is a lot about my career. You know, you're always trying to take the next step and move on. Um, the window signifies, you know, that idea of it's okay to stop and look outside and see where you are and enjoy the view and enjoy the ride essentially. But then you have to keep going. So you have to, you know, you, you can't just stand there and stare out the window all the time. The staircase continues past the window to signify you got to keep going. Even when you pass it, look outside, enjoy it, have a lot of fun, but then you got to keep moving. Um, so this whole left arm is basically all, um, you know, motivations throughout my life. My right arm I've just started is more family stuff for me. So this whole side is going to be about family. I've got an owl. Um, my oldest daughter, Sophia, her name means wisdom. So I got the owl for her. Um, my son, his name is Hendrix. So I've got a, his name means ruler of the home. Um, and it's kind of an English descent. Um, so I have an English crown. I've got a stack of books and that is cause my, my, kids are huge, um, book readers. They absolutely 
love it. They read nonstop, which is great. Um, and then Stella means star. So I've got to find a cool aspect to add some stars in there at some point. So that'll be, uh, that'll be next summer. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah of course. Walking history here. And it's, that's, that's pretty awesome. We're going to give a shout out real quick to a couple of our sponsors. Northwoods therapy takes pride in being your choice for physical therapy in the Chippewa Valley since 1981. Northwoods Physical Therapy is a clinic where you can receive the care you deserve and are treated like family. And Valley Sports Academy, brand new 116,000 square foot state-of-the-art sports training facility located in the Chippewa Valley featuring hockey, soccer, baseball, softball, and new to the area lacrosse. They are devoted to helping athletes reach their next level, utilizing tools like their skating treadmill, rapid shot, rapid hands, synthetic ice, and shooting lanes. They also have a 100% real ice training rink as well. Mogi. So Jason, you won the King Clancy Award, and that's awarded to the player who best exemplifies leadership qualities on and off the ice and has made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in his community. So what did earning this award mean to you? It was huge. It was, uh, it was a huge honor for me. That was something that you know, I'll look back on my career and, and really cherish that. Um, Gib 16 was, was a phenomenal um, you know, aspect of, of not only my career, but my life, you know, I give my wife a ton of credit. She was kind of the spearhead of, of the give 16, um, campaign and, and kind of that whole thing we did. But, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, winning the King Clancy, just having that recognition for the hospital, right. It's not for me or for my wife. It's for Tucker's legacy, who was the young boy we knew at the hospital, but it was also, you know, the legacy of that hospital and, um, you know, just how, how great of work that they do there. Um, and, uh, it, it was, it was a really, really a lot of fun. How did you come to know Tucker? How did you meet him? I met him at a routine visit, um, with the wild, um, at the hospital there, um, at university of Minnesota Masonic children's hospital. So we met him there and, uh, you know, he became, you know, a, a great family friend of ours. He was just an amazing young man. Um, and so the, the friendship just really grew from there. That's uh, quite an honor for him, but also thank you for what you gave back uh, to kids because kids are the true, you know, <laughs> inspiration and they're, they're the ones that, you know, unfortunately receive uh, the downfall of life at an early age. And yep. uh, for you Absolutely. to come through and, and help and give back like that is, is truly amazing. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So is that still going on, Jason? Do you still? It is. Yep. Yep. Is it, so it, if you, um, we have, we still have a clothing, we have give 16.com is the best way to, to okay. learn anything about, about uh, the, the, uh, you know, all where all the money goes, kind of the, the whole status of give 16. We're still active and live today. So you can go to give 16.com and learn all about that. Um, you can still buy clothing through unreal, um, unrl.co, but you can get there from the give 16 website. So, um, your best, uh, bet is to go to give 16.com and kind of learn from there. Very good. So I've heard you talk about some, some players that you played with in your past. And I, I heard Charlie Coyle's name a couple of times. Uh, you were part of a real promising young core while you were with the wild. Um, were you surprised when they broke you guys up? I mean, you, Charlie Coyle, Nino Niederreier, Mikhail Granlin, Eric Halla. Yeah. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, we were, uh, we had, we had a lot of upside for sure, but it was, they were also in a really tough spot because they signed Parisi, um, and some of these older guys to long-term deals. And so, um, 
you know, eventually with the salary cap era, um, you're going to run into salary cap issues and that's just what happens. So you had to start moving guys. Obviously Hala got moved out in the expansion draft. So you lost a guy there. Um, but when it comes to salary cap and those things, you know, guys have to get paid and it's, that's where the business side really sets in. So, um, unless you were going to move out the older guys and, and the guys with the bigger salaries, you really were, you know, you really didn't have a choice with, with a lot of the younger guys. So you guys were done with your entry level contracts and you're starting to make your first real big money in the NHL and you just, they just didn't have the cap space for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, realistically, when you're looking at other teams, you know, they're, number one assets they're going to go after are your young prospects that are, you know, yeah. already established in the league, but still have upside to gain. And that's what teams are going to, you know, definitely be coming after. So that's kind of what happened. You know, we still see those people out there playing. We still hear their names and, you know, I gotta, I gotta tell you that that was a, that was a great core. And I was so excited when, when you guys were together because they've been talking about this group forever. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, for us all starting in Houston together and then working our way up was, was a, a great core. We all got along really well. And, um, you know, I wish we could have done a little bit more with that team because we were, we, we felt we had some great teams, but you know, overall it was, uh, it was a really, really, really fun experience. Do you still keep in touch with any of those guys? I do. Yeah. I was actually just, uh, in Charlie Cole's wedding a couple of weeks ago. He was actually the best man at my wedding a couple of years, uh, six years back now. Um, so yeah, we still keep in touch. We'll still see them, you know, throughout the season and say hi after games and things of that sort. So they're all, uh, the lifelong friends for sure. Cool. Do you, uh, you know, you mentioned you're not a, a big drinker at all, but you know, after the games, when you're visiting those towns or they're coming in to, to see you in Pittsburgh, do you guys get a chance to go out and have a couple of hockey pops together or, um, yeah, typically it's the night before actually, um, when they, cause everyone, every, every team flies in, unless you're playing a back to back the night before. So typically you'll go out to dinner then if you have time. Um, get together with those guys. So I try to make it a point to do that, you know, during the season when the guys come in and um, doesn't always work out, but we try to. Let's go back to the draft for a second. You were drafted uh, in the second round. Did the wild approach you ahead of time? Did you know that you were on their radar at all? Or had how no, did idea. Tra- no idea. Nope. I actually, at the time, um, I thought somebody had told me through my agent that I was in Chicago had their eye on me. And I was, you know, so I was waiting for Chicago um, I was waiting for a couple other teams that I knew that seemed to be on their radar the most. Minnesota was never in the conversation. Um, and, uh, they ended up trading up to get me, um, in the, in the second round that year. Cause I think we picked Johan Larson at 56. Um, and so they ended up trading up to get me at 59. And, um, you know, I was, I was really, really happy about that. It was awesome. So you Did- got traded in February of 2020 to Pittsburgh. Um, I'm sure. You know, Minnesota being your first professional experience in the NHL, it must have been tough to get traded, but it was probably a pretty soft landing when you found out you're going to Pittsburgh. Yeah, for sure. It was, you know, there's always a a sticker shock to that, right? When you, you know, I knew my name was in the rumor mill for years, um, you know, but uh, once it actually happens, there's a different shock level to it, of course. So um, that was definitely tough, but it was something that, you know, I knew I was going to a great organization with some great players. And, um, you know, for me, I was really excited for that opportunity. We look at, uh, you know, YouTube videos or NHL.com, and there is obviously a ritual that Sidney Crosby goes through every game. It's like clockwork. Anybody else on the team, or is there anybody on the team that gives him a little bit of crap about that, 
Or do you guys kind of <laughs> look at that smile? Yeah. yeah, every guy does. Every guy does. Yeah, we all give them a hard time. We try to mess them up, and you know, when it's funny though, when you first get there, like everyone in it's it's no secret, right? Everyone in the world knows that he's that way. So when I first got traded there, it was like, okay, stay away, like get out of his way, don't ever, you know, bother him. But now it's it's actually kind of funny. Guys, guys mess with them and try to, you know, not really mess him up, but they give him a hard time for it and. Um, if you watch, if you ever saw the highlight of his thousandth game, everybody, he ties his skates in the same place at the same time, every warm up, and the whole team got down and tied their skates at the exact same time and, you know, <laughs> gave him, gave him some crap for it. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> does he take it in stride? He does. He's great about it. He's, uh, he's one of those guys, just very easy going. Um, he's just a great guy. Give us a little insight if you can, on what type of leader he is in the locker room or on the ice. Uh, honestly, he's. Everything that you want in a leader, he's that. He's got the emotion, but he's got the relaxed side of things. He's uh, he's a leader by example in every single way, um, from his professionalism to his work ethic to um, his vocal side of things. I mean, he's he's the epitome of what a leader is in the NHL. Speaking of leadership, your coach, Mike Sullivan, just signed on for three more years, uh, starting in the 23-24 season. What type of coach is Coach Sullivan? You know, I've been a big fan of his. He's, uh, you know, he's one of those coaches that demands a lot from all of his players. Um, but he, he shows a lot of respect to those players as well and gives them the freedom to, to grow and, and build their game and, and be a part of that. So I give him a ton of credit for what he's done. Um, you know, he's been a, a big part of me having success in Pittsburgh. Is there a class clown in the locker room? <laughs> Usually there is. Um, we actually, I don't, you know, we don't really have one that I could, you know, pinpoint. Um, Kasperi Kapanen's a pretty funny guy. Evgeny Malkin is absolutely hilarious, but, um, you know, we don't have a guy, Brandon Tanev, I would say was the guy when I got traded there. Um, but we don't have one. Um, so maybe one of the guys we traded for this year, will kind of take the reins. Any pranks you can share that uh, have occurred over time? You know, it's there, that's really, really phased out over the years. It's, um, you know, you, you hear the stories of guys like Marc-Andre Fleury that just do it all the time and, and others, but we don't really have any that do anything too crazy. Um, I wish we did, to be honest with you. It'd be a lot more fun, and it's good for the team camaraderie and, and that side of things. But, yeah, I mean, we don't really have a whole lot going on. I wish I had more for you. So you talked about your sticks a little bit earlier. So I've always wondered, how does a player in the NHL go about choosing which type of equipment they use? Now, you are you still wearing true skates and wearing you? No, I've switched it all up. I'm, okay. I'm full Bauer. I went Bauer, um, Back to Bauer last season. So now I use everything Bauer, helmet, gloves, sticks, skates, pants, you know, the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, they've, they've been great for me. I was warrior for a lot of years and just wore the true skates because warrior doesn't make skates. So I got to choose, but, um, uh, now I'm full Bauer. It's, it's all preference. You know, every guy has a different feel and, you know, there's not many people that end up using the same thing throughout their entire career. It usually changes up at some point. Is there any incentive for you to use any particular brand? Um, not necessarily. It's all feel. I mean, here's a, there's, there's guys that definitely get endorsements off of that. And, um, I was lucky enough to have that with warrior for a lot of years. And, um, but you're never going to base your choice off of an endorsement. You're going to choose what's best for you in that game and then kind of go from there. All right. Looking back at your career, whether it's on the wild or, or with Pittsburgh, Who's been your toughest competitor on the ice? 
Oh man, that's always hard. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different aspects of that, right? I mean, there's guys like Connor McDavid who you feel like is unstoppable, but then there's also guys like when we played against Crosby that are unstoppable. But on the other side of things, like Alex Goligoski is a name that always came up for me, Nicholas Jalmerson, guys that were just terribly hard to play against that aren't big name guys that are just, you know, like a Drew Doughty type name or a, you know, Victor Hedman type name, but they're just stingy guys that are really hard to play against and make it tough on you all night. Those are the guys that you kind of think of that are like, Oh, I got to play against that kind of night. You know, oddly <laughs> enough, those are the ones that you hate playing against the most. <laughs> Understood. You know, going with that, you're on a line. If you could pick your own two line mates, you know, knowing that there's hundreds out there that are phenomenal hockey players, who would be on your ideal line? Oh man, that's a tough one. Besides uh, me and JC. Yeah, yeah, you guys, of course. Um, <laughs> you know, for me, I, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of Crosby. I, I think he's just, he's phenomenal, and I think the way he plays the game is conducive to anybody's game. Right? He's a guy that can play the skill game, but he plays very straight ahead. He's, you know, we joke with him. He's the best grinder in the NHL. You know, he's he's Sidney Crosby, but he grinds. That's why he's so good in the playoffs. That's just what he does. Um, and I'm going to give him a couple a shout out him and I always had great chemistry and, um, you know, I love playing with him. So I'd take Sid and, and granny. Awesome. So we caught you in one of your, uh, the beauty league games this summer. So besides playing in this league, what else do you do to get ready for the season? Um, I've got a full-time trainer and, and skating. So, you know, that, that changes throughout the year for sure. Um, throughout the summer, as far as, um, how much you're doing it on any given week and time. But, uh, for the most part, it's just training and skating and, and trying to get ready. So were you surprised to see Bluger and Letary chuck and knuckles the other night? I missed that. I heard all about it. I was a little bit nuts, but I'm not one that's going to be fighting in a beauty league game. That's for sure. But well, hardly um, any. I've never heard of it before. Yeah, Has it I ever know. happened before? I don't know. I'm not sure. That might be a first. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of fun to watch though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was surprised to see that. In your profession, as a forward, has there been times when you've had to drop the gloves once or twice and in in face your competitor? Yeah, I mean, I've I think I've had a handful in my career, but nothing nothing to write home about. It's just sometimes it happens, and that's just the way the game goes sometimes. But that's not something that I you know think about when it comes to my game. It's not it's not a forte that you're saying today. I got to face so and so, so I no. know it's going to happen. It's- no, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. That's that's kind of the opposite of it for me. For me, it's about playing my game, and sometimes that stuff happens because the way I play, obviously there's emotions and and that part of the game too, but that's not something that I look to do at all. Do you feel that at times there is room for that in the game? I think it's absolutely necessary, yeah. I think it's something that, you know, when people talk about taking fighting out of the game, I think it's something that is crazy. Um, You know, anybody that's played the game knows that it's, it's something that should be in the game. Yeah. Yeah, we we totally agree. agree. We talked to a lot of guys about that, and... uh, you know, you just you people take liberties on skilled players. If, yep. if there's nobody out there to make sure that doesn't happen. Yep. And there's some that are a little bit more unnecessary than others, and that's just the way it goes. But you know, that's just it's the policing side of the game that I think is is absolutely necessary. All right. So here you are coming into your twelfth year. You've played five hundred fifty regular season games and forty six playoff games. You scored two hundred and ninety points. So you're limited to 38 games in 2021 and 41 games last year. How are you feeling going into this season? I feel great. It's the best I've felt in years. Um, you know, I, I feel healthy. Um, my new trainer has been huge for me. And, um, 
you know, big shout out to Zach Rourke and perfect world hockey training here in Minneapolis. They've been awesome. So, um, I feel healthy. I feel ready and I'm excited for the year. Awesome. You have given a lot of shout outs or not a lot, but some shout out to your family, which based on how you talk about it is very important to you. Is there anybody that you want to give credit to, uh, that we haven't discussed yet that has helped promote and get you ready for your NHL career? For me, it's my wife and kids. I mean, it, it, I think that single-handedly changed my career. Um, you know, having that balance and that, that home life was something that, uh, I think was absolutely necessary for me and, and the way I am as a person. So I give Carly and, and my kids, you know, a ton of credit. I think they were a huge, huge part of my career. Are either are any of your kids following in your footsteps playing some hockey? Uh, Hendrix is right now, yeah. So he's having fun with it, but I'm not somebody that's going to push that. If he wants to play, great. If not, you know, he can do whatever he wants in his life. Um, I just want them to have fun and be great kids. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, we're hoping that you got another ten years in the NHL at least. But <laughs> that would be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Any thought on what uh, the future holds for you after an NHL career? Um, for me, uh, you know, I've got some businesses that I'm a part of now that would be great and be a lot of fun. But for the most part for me, um, you know, is, is family life. You know, I want to spend the time that I'm missing now with my kids and my wife and, and just enjoy that time with them. I'm hoping that in the very near future that we're watching you on TV and you got that cup in your hand. Yeah, thank uh, you. you know, so. with your name on it, and, and yeah. we'll make a special trip to Toronto just to see the cup <laughs> yeah. with your name on it. Absolutely, <laughs> and let's hope it's this year. Yes, yeah. let's hope it's this year. We we can't thank you enough for taking your time with us on a beautiful summer afternoon here, and uh, you know, of sharing course. your story with us. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. It's been a pleasure for us as well, and uh, thank you very much, sir. All right, again, we would like to thank our featured guest, Jason Zucker, and a huge thank you to our audience. Special thank you to our sponsors, Mark and Johnson, Parker Insurance, Valley Sports Academy, Northwoods Therapy Associates, and Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter and visit us on our website at thebreakoutsessions.com. And as always, folks, until our next episode, remember, stay on the inside edge.